This is Becoming Her, a podcast for survivors of abuse or assault to share their stories. I'm your host, Emily Kemp, and I'll be having a conversation with a different survivor each week. I want to be sure to include a strong trigger warning with this podcast. The content we discuss includes topics related to violence. Listener discretion is advised. All right, we're going to get going. Hi, Amanda. Welcome to the podcast, Becoming Her. Hi, Emily. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing really well. Um, I'm just going to start by having you introduce yourself, who you are, um, you know, kind of what you do here, um, and what kind of brought you to the podcast. Uh, my name's Amanda Cook, and I came to Bozeman uh, from China, <clears throat> basically. All right. Um, <laughs> well, small you know, stop in Pennsylvania real quick, and then I came to Bozeman. Um, but what I do in Bozeman is I'm an ins- insurance agent with Mountain West Farm Bureau. So that's my profession. I cover what's important to people. And I got to this podcast through joining an amazing group of women called End the Silence Through Haven, which is a nonprofit here in Bozeman that focuses in the Gallatin Valley for women and men, anyone basically, who has had any type of domestic violence or abuse in their life. So Awesome. Well, yeah. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to kind of dive right in and let's start at the beginning. So you're okay. here to talk about your experience with domestic violence. So I think yeah. kind of a natural place to start would be to talk about how that relationship started. Well, my relationship with my abuser, it started um, in a pretty tumultuous time in my life. I was about 19, um, 20, wasn't yet 21. Uh, He was older, and I met him after a significant um, trauma in my life. Um, My first boyfriend, serious boyfriend that I had in high school was, I'd been with him for like a year and a half, and I was still a virgin. He ended up raping me Mm. um, was the ending of our relationship. And it was just a really traumatic thing that left me in pieces, basically, and not trusting, very traumatized. I didn't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. Which is a very common experience for survivors who have experienced assault. Yeah. And so I just was ashamed and mm. I didn't know what to do. And so through that process, I met him at a party because I kind of just was trying to numb all the pain. Sure. And he made himself seem like this this white knight in shining armor who was going to protect me and he he was the only real person I had told besides Mm -hmm. my best friend and so he just he came over and just sat by me and was just really kind and generous and was really nice to me and so we started dating and then he kind of it was almost like he could just smell the vulnerability on me Mm. and went after that sure and but I I can get I mean I can imagine from your perspective that that must have felt really good you know being in such a vulnerable place Mm -hmm. and then having this person come in and sort of like soothe that trauma oh yeah he did he's like I am so sorry if I ever meet this guy I'll kick his ass Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. just really was just very um supportive about what I had been through and that he wasn't gonna it wasn't my fault and I shouldn't be ashamed of it mm. and just really supportive so I thought oh this is a nice guy he's great and it just quickly you know moved into this relationship of just him and I mm-hmm. so like an isolation yes yeah, yeah. so <clears throat> it happened so fast mm. he just it was it was moving very quickly but because 
I was so vulnerable and he told me that he would protect me and I could trust him and that he would never do something like that to me and, you know, just said all the right things that I trusted him so much. And at that time, I hadn't even told my family didn't know. So I was always in my mind thinking, well, they can't relate to me. Only he can. And he used that against me and was like, your family doesn't like me. They hate me. I can totally tell they don't like me. They don't support our relationship. And so I kept, I just pulled away from my family. Mm, So he used this like vulnerability as an access point to gain your trust. Yeah. And then ultimately also used it to isolate you. Mm -hmm. From my family who was like, this guy isn't who he really seems he is, Mm. Amanda. So do you do you feel like there were red flags kind of present that you noticed and were ignoring or you just didn't see them at all or Yes, um there was a couple of red flags that you know he had to know where I was. Sure. He had to know what I was doing. He had to know what days I was working, what restaurant I was working at, what time I had class, when I was getting out because I was going to school full time and I was working full time and then I had gotten my own apartment. And he used it to say, well, I'm just trying to keep you safe. I don't want something Mm -hmm. to happen to you. Mm -hmm. And I took it as that because I was young and naive. And I didn't know that that was something that I should – that's controlling behavior. Like that's – Well, and also you had established a sense of trust there. Right. right? You know, so when – He was just trying to protect me. Right. Know where I'm at at all times. Right. You were doing what you should be doing in a relationship, which (laughs) is to trust your partner. So if he said that he's doing these things because he loves you and wants to keep you safe, Mm -hmm. it makes sense that you would trust that that was his intention. Right. And it was just the one moment um, where it was one time and he was like, you weren't at the library when you said you were going to be. I was like, oh, we decided to go to the cafe across the street and go to the library. And he's like, you are not supposed to do that. Mm. And it was just real, like, he kind of freaked out on me. And mm-hmm. I'm like, why are you freaking out? Mm-hmm. Like, it was my choice. I, that's what I wanted to do. That's what we did. Like, Right, something I that shouldn't be an issue. Right, I wasn't doing issue. anything wrong. I'm studying with my group. Like, I have to. Like, right. Like, what's wrong with you? And he got mad. He went out and got drunk that night and then came home really late and was like, how did you like that? Mm, You didn't know where I was. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So after this kind of like beginning phase of your relationship where maybe there were some red flags, you know, it sounds like he was isolating you and and that there was definitely some control Mm -hmm. stuff going on. Where Mm -hmm. did the relationship go from there? Well, he, after that, he was like, you know, I really think that we should move in together. He's like, I think this would be a great idea because that way I can just – and it was real fast. It was within five or six months of just being together. And he's like, I can help pay rent. I can, you know, take – alleviate some of that for you. And um, it just all sounded really great because I was living in a two-bedroom apartment and one bathroom. And so, you know, and I was working so much and going to school. I was like, well, yeah, maybe I could not work as much. Right. And he's like, and that way we'd just be together. We're together all the time anyways. And I was like, that's so true. I mean, he was basically spending the night every night anyway. So it just made sense. So he moved in and he didn't need much because I already had everything. And he brought his clothes and he brought like a chair, like a reclining chair and um, some dishes, um, a few glasses and stuff. But so he moved in and it went real quick. And then as soon as he moved in, Things started to change quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, he was having his friends over and like demanding I make dinner for them, um, doing just random, really super controlling things. 
and we started hanging out at his parents' house a lot more, too. And that's when I kind of saw some things with his mom and dad mm. that I was like, this is not right. Something's really off here. Interesting. So did you see like a, a similar dynamic between his mm-hmm. parents then? Yes. Yes. And his mom acted very afraid of his dad. Interesting. And Ryan would be like, hey, can you ask dad this? And I'm like, why don't you just ask him himself? And he goes, no one effing asked you. Mm. So that was a hot button with him. His, his dad. dad. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So his dad was an abuser of his mom. Gotcha. Which I is, found out. After, yeah, a very after. common pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely makes sense that that might be, you know, sort of the origins of where some of his behaviors come from. Right. And she was a, she was an enabler of his, my mm-hmm. abuser. She would talk to me and be like, oh, he didn't mean that. Mm-hmm. I know he's really sorry. I know he really loves you. He didn't mean to do that. You know? Which is probably really confusing oh, for you so as confusing. the girlfriend, you know, hearing that from your partner's mom. Yeah. You know, you're probably already second-guessing yourself. And mm-hmm. then to have this person then reinforce that and tell you everything's mm-hmm. okay and you didn't mean it. Yeah. Um, you I know, know that can so play sorry. mind games with you. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And then his friends would do the same thing. He's so sorry. He never meant to do that. You know, I know he loves you so much. That's why you guys are together. Blah, blah, blah. Like, it was just always excuse after excuse after excuse. And it finally, you know, after probably like four months and... Of living together? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He um, just stopped working. Mm. Just completely stopped working. And so you became financially responsible for everything? For everything. Okay. And he would take that money and... Because I gave him access to it. And he would take all my tip money and go drink with it, gamble with it during the day. And I'd ask him, what are you doing like, that's, that's like survival money, man. Like, what mm-hmm. are you doing? And he'd get angry, and then he'd just go and get, drink more and spend more money. That wasn't – I used to call it our money because he'd get angry when I said my money. Mm. Which, that all of those are examples of financial abuse, and that's a type of abuse that a yeah. lot of people don't generally think of when they think of abuse. Um, you know, we have these stereotypes about what abuse looks like, which often – People immediately jump to, you know, black eyes and bruises and those kinds of things. And I don't want to minimize Mm -hmm. that because it can absolutely look that way. But financial abuse is a very serious form of abuse. Yeah. Well, and he never left me with bruises on my face. Right. So that was the thing is that he would he would choke me a lot. So Mm -hmm. I would wear turtlenecks. But that was where that was the most physical stuff that he would do. Mm -hmm. Um, He punched me in the stomach a couple times. But I mean, usually it was choking mm-hmm. was his favorite and to like put me against the wall and try and just control my breathing. Right. Which sometimes leaves marks and sometimes doesn't. Right. So it can be really hard <clears throat> for people to even know if there is physical abuse going on. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and after he stopped working and all this and he started drinking more and escalated more and he just refused to try, he would t- lie to me. And say he'd try and go find a job and that he interviewed and he did all these things and he never did. Mm. Come to find out he never did. Um, And he'd go and just be with his friends and it was just, it was a lot of trying to maneuver around someone who wanted to control everything Mm. that you did and wanted to just, he was just so not together himself Mm. do you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like 
he was so out of control that all he, he focused all his energy in controlling me. Mm. Like internally he was so out of control. Yes. That to control you made him feel safe somehow. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and it just escalated so, so much within the, after that fourth month that, you know, he was, um, you know, choking me and all the time and just you know when he'd get angry that was his go-to move or he would cut up my clothes break my stuff um if he thought something wasn't appropriate to wear I mean he made me wear baggy clothes Mm. um because he didn't want guys looking at me you know to keep me safe and I'm like dude I don't think that's right anymore and I started my internal like question box was like this is miserable. It mm-hmm. became misery. And I dreaded going home every time. And I remember it was my birthday and he came in and gave me this ring. And it was it's an emerald ring. Um, but it looked like emerald, but it was a peridot. It was my birthstone. Mm-hmm. It's green. And he um, was apologizing because I had told him, I'm done. I'm, do- I'm leaving you, blah, blah, blah. And this, and then I went back to him that same night. Like, it was just during the day that I had told him that, and he went and got this ring. And so after he gave you the ring, like, this gesture. Right. To try and kind of, like, keep you, or, you know, right. get you back into the relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did. But then he also, he was still using my money. Right. To buy my own right. fucking gift. <laughs> Classy. 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 And I was like, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, those are, I mean, those are all big red flags. And I, I want to go back for a second to um, the word maneuver that you used, I thought was really interesting and yeah. um, very descriptive of what that must feel like internally, mm-hmm. where, you know, you're in this dynamic where there's this person who's controlling, not only controlling you, but also mm-hmm. in many circumstances giving you real reasons to be afraid of them. Yeah. And then you're the one left to sort of maneuver around that person or walk Mm -hmm. on eggshells around them or try and fix it or make things okay or Mm -hmm. you're doing everything to try and make things between the two of you okay and I think that's really well I was timing when I would leave school Mm -hmm. if I could get back to the apartment to make dinner so that he would be happy and not an asshole to me when I came home Mm -hmm. from class that night like I would run home make dinner quick and leave it for him with a note just to maneuver myself around him of when Mm -hmm. he'd be there and like change and just make life as perfect as possible so it didn't rock the boat right and I think that that word maneuver again like you know I just I can imagine like one person kind of dominating the space and Mm -hmm. then you trying to like shift around them to make things okay which I think is a very powerful image Mm -hmm. yeah um, so, so I hear kind of this progression of your story and kind of things escalating mm-hmm. and you sort of starting to realize like something isn't okay. Right. And then where did things go from there? Well, I was, um, getting, you know, getting farther along in my classes and it was getting too much to work two jobs. Mm-hmm. And so I told him, I said, you know, I, I get that you're not happy with this and blah, blah, blah. I said, you know, with a construction job or anything like this and you've been looking for a while and it was probably like four or five months of this. And I told him, I said, you know, I'd really appreciate it if you could find something because, you know, I'm exhausted. Paying all the bills. I'm exhausted. Going to school school. full time. And he was starting to use it against me that I didn't have time for him. Mm. And so 
I had heard, I never got confirmation, but I had heard that he was cheating on me. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that was super unfun. But that's what I, I kind of used that to my, hey, you know, we could spend more time together if you work during the day and I only worked during these days during the week. And, you know, I can make the most money at tips here. And and he's like, yeah, I, I, I can see that. And so I hit him on the best day and he had told me, he was going to call his uncle and who lives in New York and so and talk to him and see what his ideas were. He really respected his uncle and they had a family farm out in New York in the, the boonies, you know, the north. And so I was like, OK, yeah, that's a great idea. So he did. And his uncle and him played phone tag for a while. And in between that time, he. um you know, was still drinking, still manipulating, still just controlling. Same situation. His uncle called and he talked to him and told him, hey, I actually have a job for you out here. In New York. In New York. So he was all excited, but it's in the backwoods and everybody in the backwoods carries a knife, like a big hunter's knife. Mm-hmm. And so he was all gung-ho, wanted to go get one. And I was against it because it was a lot of money then and he hadn't been working right so you'd be buying him a knife. so i would be buying him a knife right right? so he went to the store got this hunting knife big knife and i was just i had gone home i was doing homework making dinner and i was at the table i was waiting for him and it was taking him a lot longer than usual because i kind of had the schedule down because i knew where i had to be at so he wouldn't get mad And what time I had to be there. And so when he came in, he was all happy and excited. And and then he was like, I got something. And I was still sitting at the table. And his voice changed. His demeanor changed. And we were talking before that he told me that he got it. We were talking about New York and that he was going. And he had told me about the job. He didn't even ask me. He just Mm. told me he was going to do this. Mm. And I was kind of upset. And then he brought up the knife as I was getting upset and brought it out and he's like look what I got and he was kind of flashing it in front of me and I was like okay that's a really big knife Ryan can you put that down and he was like you know and I had my arms out on the table you know I was doing homework and he started tapping the knife like up my arms and then he put it around my neck And he just kind of slowly, like, tapped around me and was like, you know, I just want you to remember that I always have this. That's intense. I was like, yeah, I just froze. Mm -hmm. Just completely froze and just said, okay, I'm sorry, you should go to New York. Mm -hmm. But at that moment, like, I always knew he would hurt me Mm -hmm. but I never thought until that moment that he would kill me sure which is what that Mm -hmm. that signal was supposed to sort of elicit inside of you like yeah that you know tapping it was essentially sending you a message that Mm -hmm. I can hurt you and I can kill you and I think a lot of people again when they think of physical violence think that it has to be some sort of extreme gesture um, that, like, you know, leaves marks and all of those things, um, Mm -hmm. which, of course, happens and is very scary. And, again, I do not want to minimize those things. But something that sort of scary and subtle 
I think is um, part of that mind game and mm -hmm. would be really hard for someone in your position to try and explain to somebody else. Like, I, I know that he's capable of killing me because he tapped a knife on me. You right. know, it's it's hard to explain to someone, but like the undercurrent of what right. that and message is. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Like, he knew exactly what he was doing mm -hmm. and he was doing that to try and send you a message that, yeah. he did, that he could murder kill you. Yeah. yeah. And it worked. And it worked. I was like, oh my God, he's he's going to kill me. Yeah. And I, I just, it's like, okay, Amanda, how are we going to maneuver around this? Mm -hmm. So and, is that kind of like a turning point for you or kind of a wake-up mm -hmm. call? Yeah. And I started um, thinking, I was like, so if he goes to New York, I can get away. Mm. Like, that was, I'm like, oh, so he's like leaving the state because mm -hmm. we were in Illinois. And I was like, okay, I think I can, I think I can do this. I can wait another month or two. And that's what it was going to be until his uncle told him to come out there because they were going to harvest. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, we can do this. Like, okay. just have to make it a couple more months. I just got to make it a couple more months and then he'll be out of my, I can just leave. I can, this can all be done. Because mm -hmm. I knew at that moment, I was like, this is going to go south real fast. Mm -hmm. So I just tried extra hard to just be perfect is what I was trying to do. And... Because that way he wouldn't have to yell at me. He wouldn't have to get upset. He wouldn't want to go drink. He wouldn't want to hang out with his friends. Or he... catch on to the fact that you were thinking about leaving yes. him. Right. Uh -huh. You kind of have to play the yeah. part. I had to play the part. And But I always knew where that knife was. Right. Because that scared the living crap out of me. Sure. And so when he finally came to that day, his uncle had called. And then within that two weeks, he was like, you know, so I'm leaving on this day and I'm like, oh, I'm so sad. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I was trying to be like, I'm going to miss you. And he's like, and he had a plan, of course, a control plan. Right. You're going to, once you finish your fall semester at Christmas, you're going to come out, you're going to live with me, you'll go to school out in New York, blah, blah, blah. And I went along with this whole plan. I said, oh yeah, absolutely. And so I had rerouted my um, renewal paperwork for the next semester to NIU to my friend's house. Instead of the school in New York? Instead of our apartment. Oh, I see what you're saying. Gotcha. So he didn't see it. Got it. That you were actually re-enrolled at the same school uh -huh. for the next semester. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Because I went to Northern Illinois University in DeKalb. So. So he left. He left. Okay. But here's the messed up part. This is his one last way of trying to control me. To the point where it was like, it was my bottom. Mm. Like, this was the moment that I was like, what, like, what else could more could he do to me besides kill me? Like, he, I was at work, I was had to work both jobs that day. And he's like, I'll just come say goodbye to you and you're going to be here. And I was like, yep, absolutely. He didn't show up. Hmm. And I was like, what? And this was before cell phones that we you used all the time. You know, your smartphone. You had to, like, triple click everything. Yeah. So a text T9, message T9 at work. It. Yeah, T9. Yeah. So, you know, at work, it wasn't really an option for me to send a quick text, you know. Right. And so I went to the apartment. I thought, well, maybe he hasn't left yet. He wouldn't just leave without saying goodbye or seeing me, right? Oh, no. He left. And when I got to my apartment, it was empty. Hmm. He had taken all the furniture. He had taken everything. He left which me was with all, nothing. Which were all things that you had purchased. Those, those yes. were all your things that you those had Those were used all my things. Yeah. Except for his freaking recliner. Right. 
and some shoddy piece of furniture that he had brought. Yeah. So what did you do from there? I <laughs> I sat there and he left the phone because, you know, this was before cell phones, kids, <laughs> whoever's listening. And it was, you know, the landlord's phone. So I called his uncle's house and left a message. And I said, please tell Ryan that we're done and I'm never talking to him again. Wow. And his uncle's like, Amanda, he really loves you and mm-hmm. – um you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? You have no idea. Mm. And then... Was it scary to communicate that to his uncle or did it feel very liberating? It felt liberating when it was his uncle. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, when he got there, because he was driving there with all of my stuff, he called back the apartment and it was like the next day, the next morning, and I was on the floor because I had no furniture. Mm. And... He was like, I don't know what you're fucking thinking, you know, just letting me have it. He goes, you will be with me. You will do this. You you know, just the same control mechanisms that he had used. And he wasn't anywhere to be found. And that night I cried and cried after I talked to his uncle. And I said, I was just devastated because everything I'd worked for was gone. Hmm. He took it. And he took everything, everything but my body, like, Mm -hmm. basically. And it's like, what am I going to do now? I'm a poor college kid. Right. And he took everything. And that was his way to try to force me to come to New York. Oh, I see. And then I kept rethinking, like, did I, like, did I let him in to know? Does he think I'm not coming? Is that why he did that? Mm -hmm. Because he was supposed to come back and get me. And then we would take everything out there. And that was the whole plan. And then he took it any like before. Right. And so I was just dumbfounded. I was like, oh, my God, he knows. And that terrified me. Sure. So I kind of felt like he knew maybe. Mm-hmm. Or it was like on maybe. On, on, to, on, to, on to what was going on. Yeah. And then after I talked to him, his mom called me on that phone that day the next day and she um was like again trying to support him and i finally was like listen and i'm not gonna say her name but i said you knew what he was doing and you know what he's done because his dad has done that to you so stop trying to get me to go back to that just stop and she started to cry Mm on the other end and I said I'm so sorry but I can't talk to you anymore I'm I'm done I'm just done and please don't call me again did she ever call you again no yeah she didn't but he did yeah all the time all the time and then I thought I was so let me back up real fast did you stay in that apartment or did you have to move out or kind of what I stayed in the apartment at first because, you know, like a normal person would, once they leave the state, they don't come back because they have a job right. in another state, right? And their partner broke up with them. And their partner broke up with them. So right. I figured, okay, we're done. Done. We're all good. Like, it's done. Thank God. You know? And then I started, you know, after I cried about my stuff, I was like, you know, I'm I'm okay now. He's gone. I, like, didn't even know what to do with myself. On to the next chapter. Yeah, yeah. on to the next chapter. And I was like, do I want to stay in this apartment? I, you know, I afforded it by myself before. Or do I want to move closer to home? What do I want to do? 
but it was close to my jobs and close to the school. So I just stayed. Well, I was at my job. It was like a week, two weeks after. And I was a cocktail waitress at a really fun and popular um, sports bar and grill. And there he was. He showed up. So he drove back from New York. Yes. To 15 hours. To Illinois. To Illinois. And was sitting in my section. Wow. Yep. And he, that was the start of the stalking mm. that went on for about a year. Wow. Which is a really, really common experience for survivors. And I think, um, again, just trying to break stereotypes here, right. but a lot of people, when they think of stalking, mm-hmm. they, you know, we think of these tropes of like the creep, you know, from the grocery store or whatever that sees you and then latches right. on and starts following you around. And it can look like that. Um, yeah. But the vast majority of stalking cases yeah. are actually a current or former partner. Wow. Um, because when that abuser feels like they're losing power and control or that person has broken up with them mm-hmm. for them, they're not going to allow that to happen, which yeah. is when the stalking behaviors start. Yeah. He was so angry when I broke up with him. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. But it was enough time that I relaxed. Sure. And Until then, you saw him come back. And then when yeah. I saw him come back and he would sit in my section for hours and mm-hmm. drink and then he'd start calling me names under his breath and just, you know, like, bitch, you're a slut, mm. you're the worst human in the world, you broke my heart, how dare you, I'll teach you. And then, you know, when you work at a cocktail place, you know, bar and grill, you're, it's cold, it stays open till 2 in the morning. So I would be there until 3, cleaning and closing things up with the bartender and the other cocktail waitresses. And a lot of times I go out to my car and he had duct tape um like a big envelope it was always a manila envelope with um like flowers inside with a letter hmm. which is such and, a different tactic than calling you names like bitch and slut yes. you know like it's it it seems mm-hmm. like he was essentially attempting to do whatever he could like grasping mm-hmm. at straws whether that's flattery or intimidation mm-hmm. doing whatever he could to try and like get you back Right. And he had gotten a cell phone from his uncle for his job because they're in the middle of nowhere when they're farming. And I had a cell phone just myself and he would call me from it. And I I can see you reading the letter. What do you think? He was still watching me. Mm. It was the creepiest That's thing. That's very scary. Yeah. And I didn't know what to say because I'm like, if I say, I don't want you to do this anymore, is he going to come at me through my window? Like, right. Where is he? It's well, completely dark. him further. Yeah. Where is this guy? I right. go, where are you? He's like, you can't see me, but I can see you. Mm. And he did that for almost a year. And I went to the police after about three months. I thought, oh, for surely he's going to get tired of driving every weekend. Right. 15 hours every weekend. Right. And right. then once in a while, it'd be two weeks. But it was always never longer than two weeks. Yeah, Very consistent. Very consistent. It was almost like he was playing with me. Because mm. then after two weeks, I'd be like, oh, thank God. Maybe he's moved on. Mm-hmm. But then that made me feel bad. I'm like, God, if he found somebody else to do this to. Right. Like, but I went to the police in my small hometown and or where I was working at, you know. And they're like, oh, he has an address in New York? And I'm like, yeah. But he's driving here, you know. And they basically said, well, you don't, we can't help you. Mm. Because he lives in New York. And I was like, well, 
but he, see, this is what he's doing. And these are the envelopes and these are the flowers and this is what he's doing. And they're like, well, how are we going to prove that? Right. Like we can't. I said, well, can you, st- like, I even asked him, you can stake out, you can follow me around. He's doing it. Like, right, right. <laughs> you know, I'd rather it be you, you than him. You stalk him stalking me. Yeah. <laughs> can we do that? Right. I'd like to try that. And they were like, no, we can't. No. And they knew his family. Oh, gosh. That must have felt so disheartening. It did. I was like, and that was my lowest point, I think, mm. where I was like, you know what? And I had met a guy in my very small town, like it was over a half an hour away from here, from there. And we had secretly started dating because um, it was like almost a year. Right. And he is an engineer and for a big company, a major corporation, and was like, you know what, Amanda, you're going to graduate here soon. And I still went to school and was trying to get through all of this, you know. Mm-hmm. He goes, do you want to come? I have to go abroad to another country if I want to move up in the corporate chain do you want to come with me? And I was like, okay. I was at my lowest point with that. Sure. And I was like, he's never going to leave me alone. Sure. The police can't help me. If the police can't help me, who, no one can help me. So leaving the country at that point, maybe uh, that seems sounds, like a viable option. It sounded like a freaking fantastic option. <laughs> and I was jumped on it. I'm like, caution to the wind. Here we go. So where'd you go? China. Oh, okay. Across the world. All right. I'm like, yeah, let's see if you follow me there, mister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was a good experience for you. Yeah, it was a great experience. Good. Yeah, it was a wonderful experience. And I stayed there for four years. Wow. So I didn't come home much just for safety reasons. Sure. And, and it was probably very expensive. It and was a very, very expensive. long flight. Yes. And, but when I came home, I would just stay at my parents' right. house. I never went out. I never – because I think he was still trying to find me. Sure. And so even on Facebook, I was hiding. Mm. And, um, yeah, it was a lot of, you know, reverse maneuvering now. And then, you know, I just – I went through a lot of PTSD, mm. I'm sad to say, and, like, processing through my trauma with the guy I went over there with. And so we didn't last very long because mm. I don't think he understood – he didn't really understand. Do you know what I mean? Right. And you were, you know, dealing with so much at that point. Yeah. Just because the relationship had been over for a year doesn't mean that you were just magically healed or could, right. you know. I don't think you're ever on. fully healed. Sure. From something like that. Yeah. I know I'm not. Um, but, you know, I do my best. You know, there's always that, those moments where, like, even, you know, I, when I, my husband, so I'm married now, you know, and when he leaves and isn't at home and I'm home alone, I set booby traps in front of the doors um, to make sure I'm safe through the night because, you know, he... Because of that PTSD. Yeah, because he used to do things right. to scare the living crap out of me. Sure. Yeah. So I want to kind of like fast forward now to where you're at yeah. and, and I'm hearing mm. this kind of non-linear healing process that you do the best you can there are bad moments but can you just sort of summarize what healing has been like for you mm-hmm. um healing for me was meeting some amazing individuals in china at the international school that i worked at um that's where my healing started mm. um my, i met a really great guy named adam he was um a counselor. He was our elementary school counselor. 
and he and I became close friends and he helped me process and support and gave me tools and techniques of how I could get through those moments Mm. of being scared and terrified in those PTSD moments. Um, You know, where you hear somebody yelling in that high voice and deep and you just, and you just instantly clam up and just, you know, are like terrified. But yeah, he, he was instrumental in my healing. So that started it. And I think then I made better choices in Mm -hmm. guys I was dating Mm -hmm. and just decided after working with Adam that this is not okay for someone to treat me this way. Sorry, I got to take a drink. (laughs) Go for it. And while you're taking a drink, Mm -hmm. I thought it was really interesting to hear that like your healing journey started with this other person and that when I asked you about healing, you immediately went to like relationships with other people that that kind of helped that journey. And I, um, I, I wanted to just mention something that I heard somebody say once about the, the very particular type of trauma that somebody experiences when they experience domestic Mm -hmm. violence or any kind of like interpersonal or intimate partner violence, that that trauma is happening with another human being and so healing cannot happen in isolation Mm -hmm. that healing can happen best when it's also with another human being and so I think it's interesting to hear that for you that kind of like Mm -hmm. jumping off point for healing happened with this other really supportive person yeah and he was so non-judgmental and but I never shared fully with him everything that happened Mm. um I'd never really shared he, you know, he gave me the tools for trauma. Sure. But we never really discussed the choking, the, the, the major things of, I just told him he did really bad things. Sure. Um, and so when I came back to the States, I landed in Pennsylvania and I was having a lot of reverse culture issues and, um, I didn't like it there. And so my twin lives here in Bozeman and we came, I came out here and that's when I started working here, being part of the community here. And I was just on Facebook one night and um, a good friend of mine is said she was part of this group of women through Haven and doing this and the silence. So that's kind of brought me to a whole nother level of healing mm-hmm. because I've actually, I'm telling my story now and I've told, I told my story the first time I'd ever told um, more than like three people was at Haven that night. Mm. And so that was a powerful moment for me of taking back the power from him and saying what you did was totally messed up. Like what you did is never, ever okay and it will never be okay. Like mm. what you did, you should have never done and that is – that let me take my power back yeah, and find your voice and find my voice right. because I had never talked about it. And cause I was always ashamed. I thought right. I had done something and it was my fault that I let him into my life. Like this has to be my fault. Like this has to be my fault. And so, you know, all the women that I've met in the, you know, and for you, Emily as well, like you guys have all played such a huge part in my healing that I don't, can't ever thank you guys enough so it just um it made me feel whole again I guess thank you Mm -hmm. thank you so much and I think on that note I kind of want to just wrap up then and and maybe if there's like one kind of takeaway or message that you could send any survivor who would be listening to this podcast like what would you want to tell them you're not alone 
you're not alone. If you think you're alone, you're not. And if even if they're trying to control you, you you can reach out. Reach out to that girlfriend that you're sitting next to all the time in class or reach out to that coworker. Um that's all it takes is a simple I need help. And I didn't get that option and I wish I would have done it, but you know, he threatened to kill mm. my family and all this stuff. It was horrible the things he would say to me and so I wish I would have just that one time and maybe I could have been out of it earlier Mm. and so there's people here for you there's always people here for you so and people wherever you're at in your journey yeah whether you're still in the relationship or flash forward how many years were you out of your relationship before you what is it now 23 right flash forward 23 years Mm -hmm. and you're reaching out now you know there's Mm -hmm. there's no shame in waiting whenever you're ready there are people here right who can receive you Mm -hmm. because it's it's really hard to talk about yeah it's yeah and it's okay it's your time it's your story make it your own but if you're in it If you're so, if somebody's listening to this and they're in it, make that first connection with someone. Reach out. Just reach out. I wish I would have. Because I think it would have gone different for me. Well, thank you, Amanda. Seriously, thank you so much for sharing your story. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that it can be really difficult, um, but I think it's important. And maybe, you know, by you sharing, you're giving somebody the gift of going second. So hopefully... um, the more survivors hear other survivors share, the more empowered they are to also yeah. talk about their story. So I think that's one of the big goals with this podcast. And um, yeah. I just want to thank you for an awesome first episode. Woo! We're high-fiving. <laughs> um, and with that, I think we're going to wrap up. But again, thank, thank you, you so Emily. much, Amanda. Absolutely. Yeah, really appreciate thank you. it. Yeah. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Be sure to subscribe and don't forget to check out our online community at weareher.net. If you or someone you know has experienced abuse or assault, you can always call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233.